Good morning, loved ones. I'm so happy that you are able to join with me for this time of digital worship today. I pray that wherever you are today, uh, that you just feel the Lord's spirit and presence with you, uh, and that the message today uh, lifts you up and edifies you and allows you to walk more closely with the Father. Uh, if you would, uh, join me for a time of prayer, and then we'll jump into our sermon for today. Father God, Lord, it is so good to just come before you and just to uh, sit at your feet, Lord, to hear your word proclaimed. And Father, I pray that you will just increase our belief and increase our understanding, Father, so that we might walk more faithfully uh, behind you, Lord, and more obediently to you, Father, and that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. Lord, I pray that you will just allow us to feel your presence at this time. Speak to our hearts and our minds, Lord, uh, and just help us to live as your people. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So today we're going to be continuing in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to be talking about the topic of suffering. And when you think about it, suffering is a multi-million dollar industry in the world today. Uh, we uh, can go to any bookstore and find books on suffering and why things happen. Uh, the classic title, uh, why do good things, I'm sorry, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, suffering is all around us and we grapple with it and we don't understand it. But even though suffering is so prevalent in our world today, we seldom really talk about it. Uh, we might read books about it. We might want to investigate it, but we seldom just sit down and honestly talk about our suffering. And when we do talk about suffering, it's not usually our own that we're discussing. More often than not, we're talking about the suffering of other people, and we're doing so in a tone of pity and just remorse and just wanting to be able to help other people out with what it is they're going through. Some, uh, suffering is a topic that makes us very uncomfortable, and it's something that we want to avoid even discussing and talking about. But the truth of the matter is this. In this fallen world, suffering is inevitable. We are broken people living in a broken world, and suffering comes with that territory. And for some reason, though, we tend for, to forget this fact. We tend to forget the fallenness of the world and the effects of that fall on us and on everything around us. And instead of trusting in God for hope and for answers, so many of us look for answers in all the wrong places. So many people look to the lies and false teachers who peddle a plethora of phony promises to everyone. And no doubt, at some point uh, in your life, you've heard someone say that it's not God's will for us to suffer, that God wants us to, quote, live our best life now, and that God is just waiting up in heaven to rain blessings of health and wealth down upon us if we just believe hard enough and if we just have enough faith. And certainly, uh, opening up our checkbooks might expedite and uh, make the process a little more convenient. And whenever you encounter suffering, these false teachers and other people say that the problem is with you. It means you're not doing something right. You're not faithful enough. You don't believe enough. Uh, God is displeased with you for some reason. But no matter how hard you try to spin that lie, as the saying goes, that dog just 
won't hunt. There's not one ounce of truth to those lies. So let me tell you some truth. And in this life, suffering is going to be unavoidable. And for the Christian, suffering is to be, number one, expected, but it's also to be welcomed. And as we look at Hebrews 12, verses 4 through 13 today, we're going to see that the author of Hebrews has some words for us that should radically shift the way we view and experience suffering. We're going to see today that the author tells us, number one, that suffering should encourage us. Number two, that suffering is for our benefit. And lastly, number three, that suffering is not forever. So then let us look at the text and let us unpack what the author of Hebrews has to say to us today. And we're going to look at, again at Hebrews chapter 12 verses 4 through 13 and it says this, you have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed in your struggle against sin and have you forgotten the exhortation addressed to you as sons? My son, do not scorn the Lord's discipline or give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he accepts. Endure your suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you do not experience discipline, something that all sons have shared in, then you are illegitimate and are not sons. Besides, we have experienced discipline from our earthly fathers and we respected them. Shall we not submit ourselves all the more to the father of spirits and receive life? For they disciplined us for a little while as seemed good to them, but he does so for our benefit that we may share in his holiness. Now all discipline seems painful at the time, not enjoyable. I'm sorry, not joyful, but later it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your listless hands in your weakness, in your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may be put, may not be put out of joint, but be healed. And the author's words, starting in verse 4, follow immediately on the same theme on the heels of what we read last week in verse 3, where the author reminded us that Christ endured such opposition against himself from the hands of sinners so that you and I may not grow weary in our souls and give up. And the author follows that up today in verse 4 by saying, you've not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed in your struggle against sin. Now, we have to remember the context of this letter. It was written to Hebrew believers in Christ who were facing opposition and persecution for their faith in Christ. And many of these Hebrew believers because of the persecution that they were facing, we're starting to wonder, maybe we've gotten something wrong. Maybe we need to uh, give up on Christ and go back into the old ways. So the suffering that the author is here talking about, at least as far as the original audience is concerned, is dealing with persecution. And the author says to this particular congregation, you are suffering 
but no one has yet had to die for the faith. And the author wants them to take heart in that fact, for them to realize that the Lord, that Christ, is watching over them. But then in verses 5 and 6, the author says something that really should just blow your mind when you stop and you think about it and you realize what it says. The author quotes, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And the author is there quoting from Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. And you'll remember that the Proverbs were written by Solomon and that the book of Proverbs is written uh, as words of wisdom given from a father to his son. And while we might know this as a fact, the author really wants to, us to understand why this is significant. The author of Hebrews is saying that these words are intended for us. They are directed to us as God's children. We are the sons. We are the children who are not to scorn or make light of the Lord's discipline. We are the sons and the children who are not to lose hope when we are corrected. And the, law, uh, the author says that we are to be encouraged by this. We are to be encouraged by this because God disciplines those whom he loves. God corrects those who are his children. And being rebuked, being corrected, being put to the test as a process of our sanctification. It's how we learn to let go of our will and to be conformed to God's will. It's how we learn to leave behind our sinful behaviors. It's how our faith is grown and how we learn to trust more and rely more upon God. And because of this, the author tells us that we are to endure our suffering as discipline. And the Greek word there for discipline uh, is one, you might have actually heard of it before, uh, it's the word padeia, padeia, which means uh, instruction that's designed to increase virtue, uh, instruction that's trying to make a person more virtuous. And what the author is saying is that the suffering and the discipline we endure is designed to make us more faithful. It's designed to increase our faith, to increase our belief, to make us more, uh, make us stronger and more reliant upon God. The author wants us to remember this and to be encouraged by it and to remember that God is not chastising us because he is displeased with us, but he's, uh, or because he's in, uh, bullying us. Rather, God is chastising us because he loves us and he wants us to endure these trials so that we can grow more faithfully and more become more obedient. It's because he loves us that we endure these trials. It's because he is a loving father who wants to correct wrong behavior in us so that we might be better at being 
his children, so that we might flee from sin and flee from the things of this world. And if you're a parent, you know that disciplining your child is the least enjoyable aspect of being a parent, but it's an absolutely necessary aspect of that relationship. And as the author says, the reason a parent corrects their child is because they love them. And the same is true for us and God. He corrects us because he loves us and wants us to be better. We see that the author then in verses 8 through 11 carries on this idea of parental discipline. And he tells the audience, uh, if you aren't experiencing this kind of discipline, there's probably a reason for it. And the most obvious answer is, just given what we've just talked about, is that you might not be truly a child of God. You might have gone through the motions. You might show up to worship. You might put on a good face and a good show in front of other people. But on the inside, you're not submitting to God. You're not truly giving God your heart. You're not seeking to be a child of God. Because if you were seeking to be God's child, you would be experiencing the correction of a loving father. And this correction is not to be feared, says the author. There is a purpose for our suffering. Suffering is for our benefit. Just as we accept the discipline of our earthly parents, when we needed to be corrected, we must also accept the correction of our Heavenly Father, which brings up the question, what then is the benefit of the suffering or the discipline and the testing that we endure from God? Well, the author tells us quite plainly, it's so that we can begin to share in God's holiness. Suffering helps us in the process of sanctification. The pain and the difficulty we experience as a part of God's discipline, the suffering we endure in this world, is how God molds us and shapes us to conform to the image of Christ. It is a sign of his working in us, of his chiseling away the things that are holding us back, of removing the things that are preventing us from running our race to the best of our ability. And it is not an easy process at all. Often it's a painful process. It hurts. Sometimes it breaks us. But this is a process that is absolutely necessary. It's how we grow. We have to be refined and refined and molded and molded until we resemble Christ, until we begin producing the fruits of peace and righteousness. And this is a lifelong process. On this side of the grave, we will never be done with it. And so we must be trained like a tree to grow a certain way. We must be pruned back so that we can produce fruit. And yes, this hurts. It's a shock to the system every time it happens. It's not pleasant at all when we go through these things, but it is all part of God's plan. He shapes us. He prunes us. He trains us so that we can be the people that he wants us to be, so that we can be holy like he is holy, so that we can be his children, and most importantly, so that we can be 
like Christ. And so after telling us that we should be encouraged by suffering and that suffering is for our benefit, the author gives us more encouragement in verses 12 and 13 to tell us to keep pushing forward, to keep running our race. Uh, the author says literally to lift up our weak arms and our tottering knees. And the author is saying to this, no matter how bad things get, no matter how beat down and tired you may be, keep pumping those arms. Keep picking up one foot and putting it in front of the other. Keep plodding forward. And again, the language there that the author uses is drawn from uh, athletic imagery, and it's often the same kind of language used to describe how a, a runner's body would be so completely exhausted after a long race, and how even the runner's body, if you've ever seen a person run a, a very, very long race, oftentimes their body stops responding properly. The limbs uh, quit responding to the uh, impulses, to the directions that the body is given to it. But the author says, even in those times, keep pushing, don't stop. This suffering is not forever. It makes me think of what Winston Churchill said to the people of England during the darkest days of uh, the Second World War and during the Blitz and the Battle of Britain. Uh, Churchill got on the radio and he said, when you're going through hell, keep going. Don't stop. And that's exactly what the author here is saying, keep going, keep pushing forward, lean on God for strength. And with that, the author tells us to make level paths for our feet. And that's a direct quote, again, from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26. And that phrase, make level paths for your feet, is an old Hebrew idiom. It's a Hebrew expression that basically says, stay on God's path. Don't make things harder for yourself. Don't run off course. Stay on the path that God has made for you. And that ties, does it not, right back exactly with what we talked about last week. Because who was it who has run this race before us? Who was it who endured all of God's discipline joyfully and faithfully? Who was it who came and marked this course for us and blazed a trail for us to follow. It was Christ. And the author wants us to understand that if we stay focused on Christ, if we follow the course he's laid out for us, if we trust in him and submit to him, then we too will be able to run this race. We will be able to keep pushing forward to take one more step and then another and then another and then another all along the way. And we will be able to endure even when we suffer because Christ is with us and he has done all of this before for us so that he can comfort us and so that he can guide us. And when we remember that, we must also remember that we are enduring the things that we are enduring so that we can be made more and more like him. And I know this is not a sermon that makes a lot of sense. In fact, I think 
nearly everything I've said today flies in the face of conventional wisdom and it goes against everything we think about suffering. Uh, and I know that the uh, issue that the author of Hebrews is addressing is something that we can't hear, at least in the West. We can't uh, completely relate to We can't relate to it at all, as a matter of fact. We don't know what persecution is like, but we still very much endure suffering in this world, and we wrestle with understanding why suffering happens. We still seem to think, for whatever reason it may be, that suffering is a sign of something that we've done wrong, that it's a sign of God's displeasure with us. And because we live in a sinful and fallen world that is full of pain, we have learned to want to avoid pain at all costs. And we've also learned to avoid the things that cause us pain. So it seems, at least to us in our fleshly minds, it seems completely contradictory, completely illogical. It doesn't make any sense that God could and would use suffering to strengthen us, to build us up, and to make us more like Christ. And to think that he would do all of this because he loves us. Because according to the, the world's logic, a loving God would rescue us from pain and suffering. A loving God would bless us with health and wealth and we'd all love, live comfortably in nice big houses and have plenty of food to eat. According to the world's logic, God would want us to be comfortable amid the turmoil and the chaos of this world. But we need to get one thing straight. God does not care about our comfort, but he does care very much about our holiness. And because we are his new creation in Christ, he is working in us to make us more like Christ. And he uses pain and sorrow and suffering. These things that we cannot avoid in this world, he uses them for our benefit, to mold us and to shape us into being his people. He uses these things, these terrible things for good. And he uses them as his scalpel, as his hammer and chisel, as his kiln to remove from us the things that do not belong, to remove from us the things that make us weak, to remove from us the things that keep us from running our race, to remove from us the things that are not like Christ. And so we have to, as God's people, we have to shift our thinking. We have to change our perspective. And instead of only being focused on why this is happening to us, we have to seek to understand how this could be happening for us. And there is a big difference there. We have to remember that our suffering is not for nothing. It is not random. It is not by chance. It is not without purpose. Our suffering is designed as a pedeia, as instruction in virtue, as a lesson to teach us how to be more like Christ and how to be more 
reliant upon God. And it's only through experiencing suffering that we can develop the kind of faith that looks pain and sorrow and suffering in the eye and in the words of Joe says, though he slay me, still will I hope in him. And again, in Job 19, where Job says, I know my Redeemer lives and in the end he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, Yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. And so, loved ones, we have to look at ourselves. And we must honestly evaluate how it is that we respond to suffering and to our trials. When we suffer, do we lash out? At God? Do we only care about why this is happening to me? Do we get discouraged and try to quit and just recoil and become bitter? Or do we lean more upon God? Do we seek to understand how this suffering could be for good? Do we ask God to use this suffering, to use this trial to mold us more into the image? of Christ? And do we ask God to remove our weaknesses and our shortcomings and to make us more holy? Do we ask God to use our suffering to teach us how to be his people? Our suffering, as the great Christian missionary Elizabeth Elliot once said, our suffering is not for nothing. It is never for nothing. It has a specific purpose, and that is to make us more like the Savior who died to free us from sin. And we must remember that he suffered faithfully to free us from death and to enable us to finish our race. And because of that, we too must suffer faithfully in this life so that we can be the people that he saved us to be. Would you pray with me? Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for the encouragement in this passage. Lord, we are all fallen creatures, and Lord, we do not go a day without encountering some form of trial, some form of suffering, some form of hardship and sorrow in this world, Lord. And Lord, in those times, Help us not to be discouraged. Help us to remember that all of this is part of your grand providential plan, Lord, that you have allowed all of these things happen and to allow them to happen, Lord, as the author of Hebrews told us, for our benefit so that we can be molded more into the image of Christ. Help us to find the encouragement in that. Help us to see the benefit of that. Help us, Lord, to see the necessity of that. And help us, Lord, to submit to you and to submit to your correction, Father, when we need it. And Lord, I pray that you just allow us to be molded into the image of Christ, Lord, to be molded into the people that you have called us to be so that we can faithfully and obediently follow you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the salvation in Christ. And Lord, we thank you too for the suffering that we endure to be more like him. Lord, I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.